0: Chevy voice back and intact for Jesus. Last week it was tough, especially then for second service. I had to have a reader. Brother Lawrence, you did amazing. I love you. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 9. Once again, want to congratulate everyone on being baptized 16 in total. It's wonderful to see what God is doing in and through this season. And to continue to serve God, those of you who were who baptized, and to see what He'll do in your life, this message will encourage you. Because I'll just give it to you in summary. There was a man born blind that God heals. And this man is brought into a lot of conflict and trouble because he got healed. And listen to me, being a Christian will not always make other people happy. Being a Christian sometimes will make people in your life mad. But you have to decide, is now seeing worth the price that I pay? And so if you are newly baptized, you were once blind, but now you see. And so don't get discouraged if the world doesn't like that you see. They may have preferred you to be blind. But now that you can see, I would rather have persecution and see than have everybody love me and still be blind. Can I hear an amen? Don't you agree with that? I would rather be able to see and have enemies and frenemies than to still be blind and everybody say I'm cool and I get popularity points and everybody follows me and loves me. No, I would rather see. Can I hear somebody say amen to that? Amen. So if you were newly baptized, listen, appreciate the spiritual sight that God gave you. Do not trade it for anything. And then all of my brothers and sisters who I know many of you have been coming to this church for a while, you've been serving God. Do not let anybody now make you blind. Because as we're going to learn in this story, the physical healing, the physical healing of being able to go from blind to seeing is representing a greater spiritual reality of being blind and seeing. And you can be someone who once saw and go back to being blind. How many have ever heard about people later on in life, they go blind? Not just old people, but certain diseases can make you go blind. Have you ever heard anybody like that? I follow some people on social media. One of them is a skateboarder. I don't know if you've seen this guy, but he actually skateboards with a braille stick. He skateboards with a braille stick and he became blind over his life. So in other words, you could be seen right now. I could be seen 2020 vision, clearly the things of God, and yet something can get into my life, block my vision. And then I become blind. So for the new believer, what's the message going to be today? Let Jesus, who sets you free, continue to keep you free so that you don't ever go back. And if you got all of these people in your life that don't like you, the persecution is worth it. But what is the message for those of us who have been serving God for a while? Do not be like the Jewish Pharisees who return to religion instead of returning to a relationship with God. When they have questions or things go wrong in their life, instead of going to religion, you go to God and stay in his presence. Amen? I believe that we are darkened spiritually when we do not stay in God's presence. Jesus is literally going to tell us in this story, he is the light of the world. But now think about that we could have the the opportunity to have light but if we don't use it we could be in darkness and i think about myself as a christian now coming upon almost 30 years This is, like, unbelievable for me to even say, like, wow, to have been a a Christian almost that long. You know, it's like 27 years right now or something. And it's like, that is incredible. That's longer than I was a sinner. That's longer than I had been alive before that. I was saved at 18. I mean, I've surpassed that time. But listen, in my everyday life, though I have opportunities to be close to God, I can oftentimes walk in my own understanding my own feelings, and my own emotions, and I can notice not that God has changed, but my interaction with God has changed, and the room that I'm in is not as well lit as it once was before. The room standing for the things of my life. Can anybody relate to that? You can go through seasons where instead of appreciating the glorious light of God, his word for your life, worshiping in his presence, being obedient to the commands, you can begin to go to religion. And religion, almost like if you've seen in the superheroes, there can be a good Batman and an evil Batman, a good Superman and an evil Superman. Has anybody ever seen a superhero movie where there's like the the opposite of them, the evil one, right? Right? You can almost see that the same way in your relationship with God. There's a religious version of everything you would do for God. So there's a way to spiritually worship God and be in his light, increase in his light, and then there's a way to religiously worship God. Nothing against K-Love, but just putting on the Christian radio is not counting as worship. Well, I just got on the Christian radio, so I'm worshiping God. No, that's not technically true. You can be listening to the Word, even at a service like this, but not letting the Word work on you. And you could say, well, I came to church. Or you could have read your Bible this week, but the Bible didn't get to read you and transform you. Come on, somebody. And so what we're learning today is that new believers need to accept that seeing in life will oftentimes come with persecution from those who are blind. And then those of us who have been serving God for a while, let's not look at this story and, th- and then just go, well, tis, tis towards these Jews. These guys are the sinister you know, people. They've got horns and a pitchfork, and, and you know, they're, they're, they look like they just would never get it right. No, I want you to look at Jews, uh, the Jewish leaders in this story, like people like us, People who wanted to do right at one point, people who wanted to serve God at one point, but over time, instead of getting closer to the light, instead of growing in the light of God, chose their religion. Until the point, it was so dark, everybody get this, it was so dark in the Jewish mindset in their room, in the room of their life, that when Jesus the light came on and came into their room, they couldn't even recognize who he was anymore. Imagine being so blind that you can't even see the sun. Not everybody who is blind is blind the same way. I just learned this the other day. A lot of blindness is partial blindness. A lot of people don't have pitch black. We think of blindness as someone just sees pitch black. But there's different kinds of blindness, and there's different effects on your sight. But imagine getting to the point where you could be this close to the Son of God and not even recognize Him. How blackened does your heart have to be at that point? And what does Judas become? Judas becomes that which I'm talking about, someone who was once close to God, someone who used to once accept God, but now turns away from God and does not even recognize him for who he is. So today's message as encouraging as it is to promote physical healing, which we would love to pray for anyone who has physical blindness, let this be a reminder that Jesus is our healer. Let it also encourage us to the spiritual principle that Jesus gives us. It's not not me just making it up as I go along, like, well, let, let me be a good preacher and apply this to your spiritual life. No, Jesus applies his miracles in the book of John to spiritual principles. Remember when he fed the 5,000? What does he apply that miracle to? Him being the bread of life, right? When he makes the wine at the wedding supper, what does he apply that to? He applies that to the kingdom of God that has now come upon them. Can I hear an amen to that? The kingdom of God coming with all of these blessings. Now look at uh, John chapter 9. It is a long chapter. I'll do my best to read through it quickly but efficiently. So we're going to read 41 verses. Y'all ready for this? (laughs) I don't think there needs to be a part two as I've been praying, but you never know what happens once the preacher starts preaching. Um, We have been detoured before, uh, but I think we'll get this message, but once again, May it encourage you for physical healing, yes, but more so to see what Jesus is saying about spiritual blindness and spiritual light. If you're ready, somebody say, I'm ready. Amen. John chapter 9, verse 1, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, you notice I have a link there in the notes that you can learn that even to this day, there are certain... Jewish sects that believe in reincarnation. Uh, You can look at that link, and they actually explain that some of the people who they believe died in the Holocaust for just causes were the souls of those who were once idolaters in the Bible times. Whoa, that's pretty deep. But that's what they believe. Very unbiblically deep, but deep nonetheless. So they have an idea from the Kabbalah of the recycling of souls. And one of the ways that these Jewish people explain Bad things happening to good people is that they are paying for their bad in the past life. So you would see the Jews of the Hol- Holocaust in their mind, you know, we could see it as well as being innocent and good, right? But why do they suffer? Why are they going through that? Well, it's because in their past life, they were idolaters. And they try to make it sound noble. You can click the link. As a matter of fact, brother, just click it so they can see it's not my website, a Christian website trying to expose this, which I always love to give you Christian websites that expose things. But I want you to see this is a Jewish website teaching you their belief. And so as noble as it sounds, it's incorrect. Now, notice this. This is kabod.org reincarnation. Does everybody see this right here? Can I hear an amen if you can see the screen? Okay, is this a Christian website? No, it's not. Now, go back to the, uh, the Scripture, please. That existed at that time. And sadly, this kind of superstition even exists today in the church, which is basically if you're going through something bad, you must be paying the price for something bad you did before. You're not really as innocent as you look. So in other words, you could seem pious and righteous, but if you're going through something bad, it's because you must have done something bad in a previous life. Or it must be like your parents, they did something bad and you're paying the price Now, this does not go into the discussion of generational curses, which I believe to an extent, but not all of the way that sometimes people use it. This is how I believe that they can be applied uh, biblically, is that if your parents were a certain way, you can learn those traits and be a certain way. But I don't necessarily say because a demon messed with your parents in this part of, uh, you know, the demon messed with your parents, now the demon's going to mess with you. Because what demon was doing drugs in my parents' life that led me to doing drugs, (laughs) Like, because I did drugs, is that because my parents had the demon of drugs? No, so you can do bad all by yourself and you don't need to look back to your mommy and daddy for everything. But do I think that some things like traits can be handed down, like traits of eating. Now they've found like obesity can be a trait that you learn from your parents, you know, overeating. Can things like uh, depression and anxiety be shown in brain scans to affect children as they grow up in homes of depressive people? Absolutely, but I wouldn't, like I said, stretch this to the point where now as a Christian, especially where I see this being abused, where now as a Christian, who has actually confessed Christ, you're still not free until you find out what your mommy and daddy did. I thought we just learned in John chapter 8, who the son sets free is free indeed. I don't see the disciples ever having to go through and naming generational curses to experience freedom. I thought Jesus took care of that once I was saved. Amen? I mean, otherwise, we would be here all day always confessing things. And by the way, people who talk like that, they're never really truly free. I remember one guy who believed that Christians could have demons, and he wanted me to cast demons out of him every time I went evangelizing with him. So you see how that leads to nonsense? But if you stand on your freedom, you can then understand your sanctification and fight the temptation that may have come through you generationally. And that's where we talk about generational curses being broken. Maybe you grew up in a family without a father, and then now uh, at some point in your life you lived like that, say as as was a... Um, well, as a girl or a boy because you didn't have a father, you were promiscuous or these kinds of things happen. But now as a Christian you've repented of your promiscuity. You don't need to now say, well I break the curse of my daddy doing this and daddy. No, Jesus broke the curse at the cross and now you're sanctified and holy. So live holy and show that the curse that came from the example or the bad example of your father is now broken in Jesus' name. Amen? So do you see how we're slicing that even there? We're taking the word of God and making sure we're not going into superstition. That's what we want to avoid. Everybody say, I'm not superstitious, but I'm supernatural. So these disciples, like many today in our culture, saw this blind man and wanted now to either point to reincarnation and go, hey, is this man blind because he was an idol worshiper during the time of Elijah with the prophets of Baal? Like, is that why he's blind, Jesus? Or did his parents sin, and now he's born in the womb with a curse of blindness? Now, right here, If there was such a thing as either one of those things, reincarnation, or the kind of spiritual curse that these people talk, uh, generational curse like these people talk about, wouldn't this be the perfect time for Jesus to say it? I mean, wouldn't it be obvious now? Like Jesus would say, of course, that's why he's this way. He sinned in his past life, and now he's paying for it in this life. And then we would have a doctrine of reincarnation, wouldn't we? And as much as we don't agree with it because it's not in our scripture, would it be impossible for this thought of reincarnation or this doctrine to be true? It's not impossible, is it? It's not illogical. Couldn't God, the same one who gave you one life, give you a million lives? But why don't we believe it? Because it's not taught in Scripture. So could God have taught it right here? Don't you think Jesus could have said, hey, this guy sinned? So then don't believe reincarnation. When Jesus was posed with the question of reincarnation, this was his answer. Okay? Now, if Jesus believed in generational curses, to any extent, don't you think that now Jesus could say, hey, this man is born blind because, yeah, his parents were pretty nasty and they were pretty dirty, and that's why he's been born like this. And you know what? Until he confesses those generational curses, he will stay blind. Wouldn't that be a perfect place for Jesus to say it? So if you can't show me in a scripture reincarnation, should you believe in reincarnation? If you can't show me in a, if you can't show me in the scripture generational curses should you believe in generational curses and the way that it's promoted the way that's popularized by a lot of deliverance ministers should you believe if you can't show it here even Ezekiel says the children will not be responsible for the sins of their father and that's talking about when it comes to the nation being judged God said I will no longer look at these people based on what their fathers did I'm going to judge each generation based on what they do so, even there, the idea, let me just pause and say this why not go even deeper? The idea of reparations is actually against the Bible because the Bible says each generation should stand on its own merits of good or evil. Can I hear an amen to that? Jesus taught that. So, when we see his answer, Get his doctrine. Get Jesus' doctrine. Not popular, Madam Cleo, superstitious doctrine. Get Jesus' doctrine. Here's how Jesus, everybody get this, explains evil in the world. This is now going to be Jesus' time to give you the basis to why evil is allowed on the planet. It's not because of reincarnation, and it's not just because of generational curses either. It says, neither this man nor his parents sin. Jesus said, but this happened, his blindness, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Can I hear an Amen. Jesus said he is allowing this for the glory of God. If anybody ever wants to say to you that our God cannot exist because he's evil, you're going to ask them to define evil without using our God as a standard, right? Okay, so I've taught you guys that. But now you're going to ask them, what is then the purpose of evil? You say you believe in it. I've asked you to give me your foundation from it for it. You can't. But now that you admit that it's here, there's evil, we all agree with that. I mean, they're using it in their argument. What you now want to ask them is, what is the purpose of evil? If they say evil has no purpose, then why are you upset with it then? It's just blind, pitiless indifference, as Richard Dawkins said, and we ought not to expect anything different from our universe, right? So in the end, Hitler is a winner. Hitler got to take over much of Europe. Hitler got to have all of the sexual partners and power that he wanted, sex, money, and drugs, or whatever he was doing for drugs, like partying with alcohol. He got to have all of it, and then when he was done playing, he got to say, game over. Shoot himself in the head. So if Evil does not have a purpose. All of that was meaningless, and for the 50, 60 years, however long he lived, he got to have his fun. Is that what they want to affirm, that that's all the world is, is get away with as much as you can because in the end you become dust? No. What do we teach them? That evil serves a purpose. That even the wickedness of the Holocaust shows the mighty works of God. What do we see in the Bible? That whenever darkness came, whenever evil came, God brought light out of that darkness. We see Joseph being sold into slavery, and then out of Joseph being sold into slavery, we see the redemption of Israel. Even uh, the, the story of the Holocaust and the great tragedy that happened there, what did God do through the Holocaust? Give the nation of Israel back to the, their land. They got their land back. You see, God always turns that which is evil for good, the per- purpose of evil is to glorify God evil is not purposeless evil serves a purpose in the kingdom of God now what would most people say back to that why doesn't he just stop it now and then what is our response to that he would have to throw you out with the trash because if God got rid of all the evil he would have to get rid of you Do you not have, without Christ and his redemption, do you not have evil in your heart? You do. So you would be destroyed with everyone that you hate or you dislike. Everyone that we would say Stalin or Hitler, yeah, these people, these rapists, of course these evil people need to be punished and God can stop it. Why doesn't he just stop it right now? Well, then he would have to stop you because in God's economy, in God's world, your lie, my lust, this person's outburst of anger, this other person's um, you know, jealousy is just as wicked as all of those other sins. And so, why doesn't God take us out with the trash? Why doesn't God just rid the world of evil, including us? Because He wants to redeem that which was once evil for His purpose. God even uses the stubbing of your toe in the morning, if you've ever done that, for His glory. What does stubbing your toe do to show you the glory of God? That you need a glorified body, (laughs) that you need to be able to walk better. That you need a changed bedroom, right? Or you need something else in your house other than these sharp-edged objects. It shows us that something is off. Our body can get hurt by such easy to minor accidents. My mother coming out of her car in the garage of her house broke her leg. When my wife was in an accident and her legs was broken in many pieces, she had to go to therapy and meet others. She met people from the most random accidents. One was changing a light bulb, fell, broke their ankle, just like my wife. The fact that we experience pain in life is not evidence that there isn't a good God. The fact that we can recognize this as being very evil, being very wrong, is evidence there's a good God that wants us to feel the angst, the inner groan of something being off in this world and then to look to that God to make something good come out of it. Otherwise, why not abort the child that's been conceived with rape or an incest? You know one of the best arguments that I've heard, and I've kind of repackaged it in my words, and you can use this to help people understand, As I say, how important is it for us to have renewable clothes and renewable foods and renewable uh, you know, items in our world? How important is renewable items? And they'll say it's very important because if we only cut down trees and use it for our homes and don't plant new trees, we'll have no more trees. How many can say amen to that? makes sense, right? So I show them that simple argument that we all agree we need renewable things. And then I say to them, now that evil has come, which we 100% agree, and if there's going to be a judgment, it should be upon the rapist, it should be on the molester, not upon the innocent child. Amen? You've heard that before. But then now watch this. I say now by us doing that and being human in our compassion towards the child, do you know what we've done? We've now renewed what was once evil into good, and we've now allowed this child to be born and replace the wickedness of that abuser. Because when you talk to people born out of rape and incest, don't they have an appreciation for life? Haven't you heard their testimonies and how God uses them to show the value of human life? You see, we lost this human being when they raped and and were molesters. We lost them, but we need to renew them. We don't make the world better by going extinct. Does everybody get that? We don't make the world better by going extinct, we make the world better by raising up more people in the imago day in the image of God. So what they see as the tragedy, we see the act as the tragedy, but the good, the life, being that which redeems the tragedy. Out of this hideous sin comes the good. Now, if somebody were to say, well, then let's all commit evils and see all the good that comes out of it. Paul answers that and says that is foully. We don't now test God by our evil and expect him to clean up the mess and say, well, now it ultimately works for your good. We'll be punished for that because in the example of the rapist or the child molester, they still go to hell without repentance. There's still a penalty that needed to be paid upon Jesus in the cross. Who can look at Jesus taking our sins on the cross and continue in sin gleefully and joyfully thinking that God will now clean up our mess? Who could really understand the cross and do that? No one. So the idea that evil is being redeemed is not an excuse to live in sin and just say, well, God will fix it. It's an appreciation of what God has done through the world to bring him glory and to show us how good he is. In other words, God is so good, think about this, y'all, God is so good that he can create us with free will, and when we violate his word with that free will, he can take our evil and turn it towards his good. He doesn't have to play both sides of the checkerboard. He can allow humans to have their very own choices in the game, and he can still win in the end. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened, blindness, something we would all say is a tragedy from birth. Wouldn't that break your heart to see a child born blind? But Jesus says, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Anyone that has ever lived with something that is human suffering through sickness or illness or or being handicapped or disabled, God says He is using it for His glory. As heartbreaking as it may be to see this play out in real life, God says to trust Him, even through the suffering of our children. Isn't that a serious test of our faith? Jesus, I would rather be blind than watch a child be born blind. But God says, trust me, I will work this for my glory. Don't you think that Jesus loves the children who are suffering from blindness, handicap, cancer, any of those things? Don't you think Jesus loves them even more than we do? Where do we get our love and compassion from? When I talk to people who try to use that against God, I also bring up up that thought as well. Does the tiger feel compassion for the blind goat or the blind animal running around? No, it eats it. I've even seen those animals eat their own blind and crippled young. And yet, in humanity, we have a compassion towards our handicap. Where did that come from? It came from God. Part of the good that God works out through the the evil and the pains of this life are those of us who feel compassion for those who are dealing with them. I remember when I first got saved, I noticed so much compassion in my heart raise up for those that were elderly and or handicapped. There was something that they both had in common that touched my heart, that their physical body disabled them from living the life they wanted to live. And I had never really thought about the elderly or the handicapped very much in my life. But some of you know my testimony. But when I first got saved, I was delivering pizzas. And one of the places that I went was to an elderly home, an old folks home. And as I went there to drop off the pizza, there was a woman in a wheelchair, very, you know, just hunched over. You could tell her body wasn't acting right. She was in a wheelchair. And she wanted to greet me. And to shake my hand, here comes this handsome 18-year-old. I'll put in their handsome to make the story a little bit better here. But here comes this handsome 18-year-old into the, you know, to the old folks home. I'm sure they don't see many, right? Get a lot of young visitors, cool cats. Here I think I'm a cool cat, right? And she reaches out her hand to greet me. And as I go to shake her hand, one of the nurse's aides, and I thank God for nurse's aid, my mother was one and those who really serve this community, but this one was not very nice. She said, don't touch her. Don't shake her hand. She's crazy. She'll bite you. And I remember saying to that woman who had said that, it's okay. I've been around so much worse. It's worth the risk for me. And as I reached out my hand and touched her frail hand, something changed in my life that day because I realized in a few years I would be there. And I shook her hand and I said, Jesus loves you and so do I. And I went back into my car and the moment I sat down and shut the door, the Lord said to me, that's your calling. I want you to reach out and touch hurting humanity for time is short and there will be others who will try to stop you. But keep touching them. You see, when we look at the hurting of the world, it really reflects who we are and our reaction to it. Are we annoyed by the elderly? Are we annoyed by the child that suffers from some kind of illness, mental or physical? Are we annoyed by those who don't fit into our gap ad and look as cool as we are in life, achieving our American dreams? Or do we have a compassion that comes to us that makes us compelled to do something? Oftentimes I tell you that we had to go to India as Christians, even Catholic Christians like Mother Teresa and others, to go help their poor and hurting and crippled because according to their religion, which is based in reincarnation, the tears of the hurting are mostly water, they would say. And they need to learn learn through their suffering, so don't make it easy on them. Why would our Christians go to what is still known today to parts of India known as the untouchables? Why would we go to the leper colonies? Why would we go there? Because we would reflect, and those of us who are like this today, we are reflecting the image of God, and every time we do that, we are showing with our works, our acts of compassion, we are showing that we trust God that through this pain, he will bring good starting in my heart. starting in me compassion is a good that God has taught me they asked a philosopher once could God have made a world where we had free will and didn't sin not practically but logically could he make such a world think of it could God have made a world we have free will but we don't sin now before you say no he couldn't isn't that the world to come don't you think in the kingdom of God to come, we will all still have free will? But yet there will be no sin. So he, they asked the philosopher, why, if he can, and it's possible for such a thing, why has he allowed this world to exist where humans have messed it up? And the philosopher said, so that we can know what it's like when he cleans it up. There is only something That those of us who have been redeemed can understand, and we never would have known it otherwise. And I know that may seem oftentimes trite to say to those who suffer really in life, that the suffering will make you better or stronger or draw you closer to God. Maybe that sounds to you like someone doesn't care, but I want you to hear today that it's actually the plan of God. It's not easy to go through those times, but you can trust that those times were made for you to get closer to God. C.S. Lewis says, We can barely hear God in pleasure, but we hear him clearly in pain. Something about God in this temporary life, he's allowed us to live in a shadow land of death where it is always around us, and we have to trust him that something good is coming through the pain and the suffering, starting with me and my compassion and my trust of God. Would you trust God today if your loved one passed? Would you trust God today if you had a handicapped child? Would you still love him and worship him just as you were before if everything you valued was taken away? You see, that is what God is asking us to do in this situation. But how many are happy for Pentecostal power that we don't just have to settle for things the way it is and that we can go into this world and pray for the sick and do what doctors can't do and see them healed in Jesus' name, bring deliverance to those who are afflicted and unburdened by the things of this life. How many are happy that we can go into this world and be world changers, history makers, and roof breakers? I'm thankful for that call. But I would be amiss and I would be a shallow pastor if I told you that Pentecostal preaching and Pentecostal faith is always the answer. Sometimes Pentecostals bury the ones they love the most. Anybody hear of Bill Johnson burying his precious wife after she lost her battle with cancer? Would anyone want to say that there's someone more believing in healing than Ben Johnson or Bill Johnson, rather, from Bethel? Would anyone want to say, I don't, it just, I'm not talking about all their other doctors. I'm just saying, would anybody say there's somebody who believes in healing more than that man? No, and how many sick people does he pray for? How many times has he taught on healing? But guess what? After he lost his wife and he preached a sermon, it's similar to the one I'm telling you now. Not every Pentecostal prayer is answered, brothers and sisters. Will you at that time get back up and say, Lord, show me that you're working this for good. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I want God to be displayed in my life or my death, in my good times or my bad times. And when we see Bill Johnson telling the stories of his wife in those final hours, God's work was good in her. As I've said before, it's like the story of Job and the angels. there looking at what's going on as Satan is afflicting Job. You could almost see as Job is remaining faithful that God nudges Satan and says, who do you have like him? This one serves me even though it costs him everything. Who do you have, Satan, that serves you just because of who you are, not because of what you give them? Job doesn't serve me because I've made him healthy and wealthy and wise. He serves me because he knows me. Now, isn't it blessed? To, isn't it a good thing to know that Job was blessed at the end of his life and that God can do both? Amen. God can love us and know us and work through us and teach us lessons of life and at the same time do all of these wonderful miracles. What a joy it is to walk and talk with Jesus. I never know what the day holds, amen? I don't. I never know where I'm going to end up, who I'm going to preach to, where I'm going to pray for somebody. But it's exciting to know that I don't just have to take things as, it, as they are. I can see God change the world I live in. And that's what he's going to do. Verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. So it's a good work. To pray for the sick, as you're going to see. Night is coming when no one can work. This is going to be when Christ is crucified and they mourn him for that time. There'll be no prayers for the sick, deliverances during that time. And then after Christ's resurrection and the day of Pentecost, now that work will continue. And how many know Jesus is still working with his church? Amen. These signs, following them that believe in my name. They will speak with new tongues, cast out demons. Nothing by any means shall harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. Jesus said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Sounds familiar, right? John chapter 8, verse 12, he said the same thing. Let's take a look at it and see the harmony of the story. Jesus is going to demonstrate to us that he's greater than blindness. Before I even get there, I challenge anyone, I got a crisp $50 bill waiting to give you, not in my pocket yet, if you can show me a blind person being healed in the Old Testament. You see, something about the blind being healed is unique to Jesus and Jesus alone in the Gospels. It comes afterward with the apostles. But up until this time, no one had seen a blind person healed. Why is Jesus going to be the first? Because as he said earlier in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. When we think of blindness, we think of darkness, don't we? Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Going back to our scriptures in John chapter 9, notice that this is what he says. I'm going to do the works of God. I'm going to do this while I'm in the world because I'm the light of the world. Verse 6, after saying this, he does something a little bit funky, something that might be a little bit strange, something maybe Benny Hinn might try every now and then. He spits on the ground makes some mud out of the saliva, and puts it on the man's eye. I many many that's an awkward day at church. There was a man not too long ago of a megachurch that did this and got himself in trouble because he wanted to demonstrate. Like as if we didn't get the illustration and use our own imagination, a preacher hooked on illustration, because this guy always has illustrations, wanted to do it literally with a person. Would you volunteer to let me do that for you? I don't know if the guy was ready, if he knew it was happening, but it happened. So this is an awkward day in church. Jesus spits in the mud, puts the mud on his eyes, and now he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Anybody see anything weird about that other than the spit and the mud on a guy's eye? How about telling a blind man to go and do something? (laughs) Why not heal him first, Jesus, and then tell him to go wash the stuff up so he can see where he's going You just, I mean, if he wasn't blind totally all before and it wasn't at all pitch black, now it is. You just put mud pies, spit mud pies on this guy's face, and now you've told him, and go walk this distance. And the theologians who figure out where they're at thinks it's about a mile. Go walk a mile over here. Go wash yourself, and then you'll see. But what does that teach us about Jesus? No wasted words of the Scripture. First thing when I see him making the mud pie there. It's the same one who in the beginning was with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made by him and through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. I see Jesus reminding us here that he's the one that made Adam and Eve of the dust of the earth. Don't you see that there? I don't think it's too far of a stretch to see my Jesus reminding us, hey, I got this. I made you. I was the one who started this off. Let me show you what I can do. Remember, we don't see any prophets in the Old Testament healing the blind, let alone doing something with dirt. The only time we see dirt having power is when God himself created Adam and Eve in his image. But why have him walk? Why not just say, "Hey, be healed. Jesus has done it before. We know he's capable. Why not just heal the man now?" There's something in this story that we're supposed to get about trust. Remember the man is blind, but he wasn't unable to walk. How did he get to that point to begin with? Roll up, scroll up please a little bit in the story. It says right here that he, go up a little bit more for me, please. It says that he sees a man born blind from birth. Where was he up at the, to this point? It doesn't sound like he's at home, as we're going to learn later. He knew how to get out and probably beg. He knew how to operate and use what he had. Just like, as I mentioned before, the one person I've seen blind can even skateboard. Jesus wanted to see, would he now trust him? And isn't that just like Jesus in our everyday life? I'll heal you, and I'll set you free. Just meet me at life group tonight. Meet me at the one-on-one Bible study. Walk the mile to youth group. Come to prayer with me in the morning. Is it works that made the man see? No. He wasn't healed by works because that man walked probably that distance all the time but was never healed. But what was special in that walking that day? That walking was a walk of faithful obedience. He was saying, I'm willing to trust a man who just spit and put mud on my face that when I do this such and such a thing, I will be changed. I think about when I first became a Christian and how Jesus asked me to trust him in the journey. When I first became a Christian, obeying God seemed like an impossibility. But he would say things like this to me. Joe, don't smoke today. And you'll never smoke again. Well, that's just one day without smoking, Jesus. How is that possible? And then God began to teach me through that. Because if I can keep you free for a day, a day is always a day is a day is a day. So one day is like another day, like another day. They're no different, are they? I mean, they're just days, aren't they? So if God can keep you free for one day, He could keep you free for a million days. But I had to trust Him for a day. And sometimes, as my dad says, it's not just trusting him, as the old song says, day by day, it's moment by moment. How many mature Christians here would admit that you're on a journey with Jesus and you quite yet don't see it all coming to pass? It's a little bit dirty, it's a little bit spittle-like on your face, but you're still walking towards where he told you to go. Is there anybody here that can relate to that? How many times has God told us to do that? I mean, I can't even count. I would testify all day. Joe, start a Bible college. Okay, God, but all I feel is spitting mud on my eyes right now. But walk to the pool of Siloam, and I'll meet you at accreditation. You don't get accredited day one. You get accredited day 1,345, so if you see me walking every now and then and there's some dirt in my eyes and I don't quite see it all together and I don't always, and I'm not making an excuse for sin. That's not what this, the man going to sin. But if you see that I'm feeling my way out to a place called there, the pool of Siloam, can you give me some grace? Because I'm walking to a place that I've never been before to see something I've never seen before. You see, Jesus told that man to walk about a mile What if he met one of his friends along the way? How do you think that conversation went? Hey, Bob, where are you going? You don't look right. What's going on? Well, this dude, he spit on the ground, put it in my eye, and told me to walk over here. What? What did he say is going to happen? He said, I'm going to be able to see. Bob, are you feeling all right? What have you been drinking? And oftentimes, people can be well-intentioned dragons. Not every enemy starts off as an enemy. Sometimes, as they say, they can be frenemies. Distractions can be just as bad as destruction, as the proverb says. You can get so distracted in life that destruction doesn't come immediately, but it comes further down the road, and it's those distractions that took you to that destruction. Think about that man that day walking. If he would have been distracted, he would have destroyed the potential for that miracle. His well-intentioned friend might have truly been looking for his well-being. Why should you have to walk with mud on your eyes, dude? If that's the healer, it should have already happened. And if that man would have fell to the temptation or the peer pressure of people who doubted what God did in his life, he would have destroyed the miracle that was just a few more feet in front of him. What are you doing? becoming a pastor. What are you doing wanting to become a mom? What are you doing wanting to lead a Bible study? What are you doing wanting to start this business? You just look like you have mud in your eyes. I don't see the miracle, and I'm your friend, and I want to help you. Sometimes friends hurt when they don't see what God has told us to do. It doesn't give us permission to be lone rangers, to disregard elders and deacons in the church. Please be patient with us as we try to hear what God is speaking to you. And as far as I'm concerned, in this church, we don't ever want to supersede the voice of God. And if that ever happens, please come talk to us. We're not like churches who try to tell you who to marry. We're not like churches who, when you don't obey us, we curse you and say, God is no longer with you. We try to teach you the things of God gently, and if you don't want it, we just ask you to continue that journey without us. But if you are truly hearing from God, and you're that man that has received that instruction, couldn't you be patient with your friend and explain to them, as Job was with his friends, Didn't Job take some time to explain to his friends what God was really up to? And didn't eventually God vindicate Job? You see, God will be your defense. In humble humility, in brokenness of heart, to submit to your leadership or those you love, God will guard you. Not rebellion, not blindly following whoever gives you a word, but would you trust that those of us here who are in your journey with you or on the journey with you are trying to discern with you, has this really been the start of a miracle or are you just eating too much pizza before you go to bed at nine? So I thank God for good friends along the journey. We don't know how we got there, but let's keep going and see what happens as he continues on this journey. Verse 8, his neighbors. Or so, uh, rather, in verse uh, 7, so the man went and washed and came home seeing. So he made it. He got to see. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, that's where I get the idea he must have knew how to walk around because he was begging, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Verse 10, how then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. You see, he obeyed Jesus, and he received a miracle. Verse 11, the man, or, or verse 12, where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. How many know why he doesn't know? Because he was blind and went on a mile journey. He left Jesus still blind and then walked and went on his way. Sometimes people ask me in a mocking way, well, where's Jesus now? I mean, you said 100,000, pastor, and I see, you know, you have a church and I see it growing and doing wonderful things, but, but where's Jesus now? Almost like they're mocking, Right? Well, we, we, we will believe it when we see it and, and, and we're not sure yet you're the one you say you are and we're not sure we believe this whole story of what you're called to do or what God has told you to do. So why don't you just show us that person and we'll believe. This kind of doubt comes from a cynical heart that doesn't want it to be true. It lacks hope. Have you ever met somebody that tried to discourage you by asking you how it would happen, this dream or vision that you had. And they wanted it to seem practical advice, but it was really them trying to discourage. Has anybody ever gone through something like that? I, I, I'm the only one. When I said that I wanted to become a pastor at 22 years old, single, people asked me, How are you gonna do that? I mean, you're not married. You don't have any experience. Well, I guess at some point, a new pastor has to start with no experience because how do I get experience to start being a pastor without first being a pastor? So where, so where are you going to get your experience from? In the church I pastor. How are you going to figure it out? I'm going to let God do it. Well, where is he? Because all I see is you in a home Bible study right off Plamira and Clark with a hole that was covered up so the rats don't get in. Where's Jesus now? But you see, Jesus is where he's always at, doing what he said he would do. He's confirming his word. And when Jesus needed to show up to confirm his word, as the old timers say, he wasn't late, he wasn't early, but he was on time. He was on time. And you see, I know we believe in the omnipresence of Jesus. He's with us everywhere we go. But I'm talking about those special manifestations of God. Oh, how I wish it was always like in the times of COVID or BLM when the church is packed to the gills. We've got visitors coming in from everywhere and they want to hear the preacher preach and then we're going to do something great for God. Oh, I wish it would always be like that. But sometimes you have to preach when the place isn't full. Sometimes you've got to show up to your job when you don't feel like it. Sometimes you have to go to your marriage and try again to work through the situation even though you don't see God in the midst of it. As that song goes, he's working behind the scenes. Even though I don't see him, I still believe he's moving. This man had to trust that the one that touched him was who he said he was. He said, I don't know where he is. Man, I was blind. How am I going to tell you where he is? He's the one that put the mud on my eye and told me to walk a mile over here. Verse 13, they brought him to the Pharisees, the experts. Here are the people that are going to really figure it out. They're going to be the judges in the situation. Now put yourself into their situation, uh, into their roles, and see if you've ever been tempted to think like a Pharisee. They brought him to the Pharisees, the know it alls. The man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. So that was their religious day, which remember was a good thing. The Sabbath is not evil, it's a day to remember the Lord and to rest. But now these Jews are upset that God's actually doing miracles on that day. The Pharisees also asked him, How had he received his sight? He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Everybody say, Now I see. Sometimes I struggle with being cynical. You would think me being as passionate for the Holy Spirit and Pentecostal as I am, that I would readily believe your dreams and visions that you tell me. (laughs) But I don't. I'm just being honest. Most of the time I lose track while you're going through the fourth uh, unicorn that you've rode in through the golden rainbow. And it's hard for me to follow you. Uh, Oftentimes, especially those who love confirmations, and you tell me this confirmation, and then your cereal uh, bowl spelled out this in the morning with your fruit loops, and then over there your shoes were put into the place of the cross. I'll be honest, as a pastor, I'm not good at that. Why? Because I have to make sure you're not being superstitious. Because I've heard Mormons say the same thing. You ever talk to a Mormon? Boy, they have a lot of confirmations in their life too. A lot of spiritual things that have confirmed to them that Joseph Smith is a prophet. Things that lined up that seemed impossible to come together and how everything worked out so they could go on their mission and how their mommy and daddy had a dream one time of the ancestors who are already exalted to Godhood. You see, as a pastor, I've learned early on that there has to be experts in the church. It's not a bad thing. We're not trying to be Pharisees per se, but there has to be somebody, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, that actually tests the prophecies because, by the way, I can hear them from my office. Just as if Jason gave a word today that was of the Lord, what happens if someone starts giving the word that goes, there ain't nothing wrong. With a little bit of bump and grind, I see you, sister. There ain't nothing wrong. This is what the Lord has told me for everybody here today. Am I supposed to just sit back and go, well, well, God said it. I believe it. Okay, go ahead, man. Y'all should date now. The Lord said. So let's not be so hard on these Pharisees. Maybe they're doing the right thing at the beginning here, but something's off in their heart. Because after they get the explanation, they still don't believe. You see, after you tell me your dream, your vision, your shoe, your daughter, your son, your this, your that, to confirmed, I want to see, has, has it changed your life? Does it make you more consistent to church? Are you now more free in your daily lifestyle from sin? Are you producing the good fruit of keeping your word, or are you still a granola Christian, a fruit not in a flake? Because I I am an expert. I'm sorry it sounds prideful to others, but I'm called to do this. I study this. This is what I do for a hobby, and it's what I do for a job, and I love it. And so I can't just take your word. Sorry. But I do want to see it come to pass. Where the Pharisees, I think, go wrong is they didn't take time to really investigate with pure motives. Because Jesus threatened their way of doing things, they wanted to deny what was in front of them. And I pray that I don't ever become so much of an expert that I miss what Jesus is doing right in front of me. Would you pray that as you become experts, because how many know you're supposed to take what you've been taught and teach it to others, how many want to do that but still with humility to see what God is saying? They said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Wrong answers, Pharisees. God made the Sabbath. It's his day. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? That's a good question. God certainly wouldn't have deceived him at this time. So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, hey, dude, he's a prophet. I don't know much other than that, but how would he know to tell me to go and do all of these things that worked? They still did not believe him. You see, the expert is now using their religion to now discredit the things of God. And that's what I fear for anyone mature in Christ. Always be open to what God is doing in the season of your life and others'. It may sometimes sound strange and it may seem weird, but if God is moving, you'll see the signs and wonders confirm his word, and then you can enjoy the journey. I think about my friends, Gene and Tisa, who are missionaries who oftentimes lose me in their stories about how they hear from God, and they know that I am lost oftentimes, and we tease about this because with especially Gene, I'm more the practical one, and he's more the spiritual one. Don't get me wrong. I'm also spiritual, and he's also practical, but you know what I see in their precious lives? I see the fruit of their missionary work. I see God answering their prayers. And so when he tells me something like, God told me to buy such and such a stock at a certain time, and I made this amount of money and my jaw drops, I go, well, amen, brother. (laughs) Sounds like God to me. But would I want to make stock picks based on what I think I hear from God? I don't know how good I would be at that. But boy, it's exciting to watch people be able to do it. Made more in one pick than he did the whole year. Sounds almost too good to be true. Now you want to go check your horoscope, I mean your prayer closet, for what stock you should pick. But it works for them, doesn't it? See, the Pharisees didn't want to see God working outside of their bubble. They only wanted God to be limited to what God could do that they understood. May we never become like that. They don't believe them. So now what do they do? They get the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it he can see? Verse 20, they say, well, we know he's our son. The parents answered, please keep going. And we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who has opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So even people that you would think you could trust at times can be intimidated. And they had already decided, these Jewish leaders, that whoever acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah was to be put out of the synagogue. There was a price to pay. That's why his parents said, he's, out, he's of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Oh, you really know that? No, you're deceived. How many know deception is deceiving to the deceived? They had the opportunity to watch a miracle of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ right in front of them. The one that they kept asking, who are you? What do you do? What's this thing all about? They had a chance to see this literal sign, this thing they had been asking for, but their mind was already made up. Don't be deceived by people on the streets that you're preaching to that a sign will change what they believe. We see in Scripture that signs don't change people's hearts. You can be be even a person who receives a miracle and still be a backslider. I've met people who have told me God has done miracles in their lives, and they're still not living for Jesus. They said, we know this man's a sinner. The man answered back, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Then they asked him, well, what did he do to you, and how did he open your eyes? He said, I've already told you. And you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? So now they're in an argument. He's being sassy. They hurled insults at him because that's all they have left, people who are haters. That's all they have left is insults. Instead of investigating and seeing what God was actually doing, they're just going to insult the man. You are this fellow's disciple, and I'm so proud to be one. Amen. We are disciples of Moses. They really weren't. Jesus had exposed that, that really they were disciples of the devil. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Yes, you do. He's told you how many different times. I have come from my father. Hasn't he told them that? He told them that just a few days ago. I've come from my father. Why are you guys confused? And he's told them why they're confused, because your father is the devil. You don't want to listen. Now notice in verse 30, the man answered, now this is remarkable. Out of the mouth of babes, as they say, not many noble or mighty among us, as the prophecy came earlier. Here's a man that was once blind, is now going to teach these religious leaders. He says, now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. That's a proverb. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever, look at this man start preaching here, nobody has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, thank you for telling us the truth, we're ready to repent of our pride. No, you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. May God have mercy on a backslidden church. I have to say this oftentimes to the church that you cannot see what God can do because you're not open to see it. And that's why you call us names. That's why you hate us. You don't want us to lecture you. I remember one time sitting down with a pastor telling my testimony. This man had given us tens of thousands of dollars. He loved and believed in us. And I remember just sharing testimonies with him. And you know what he did? He stopped me in the middle of me sharing testimonies. And he goes, why do you always got to talk like that? Can't we just talk without all the spiritual Bible stuff? This was a pastor who had given us over $70,000. As you can imagine, from that point on, our relationship really wasn't the same. I said to him, Brother, I know no other way to express my life except through the terms of Scripture. I'm not a fanatic. I'm somebody that's been touched by God. Everything to me is what God is doing, what God is saying, how the Word became alive in this situation, what I saw over here. But why do they do that? Why do they say, don't lecture us, you sinner? And in his sense, you small church pastor, who do you think you're talking to? I'm a mega church pastor. I don't need to hear all of that. It was because they don't want to acknowledge what God is doing. Their hearts are blinded, and as we'll see, it's a spiritual blindness. Jesus heard that the man had been thrown out. He found him and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? See, remember, he thought he was just a prophet before, but now he's going to teach him about the Son of Man. And remember, Son of Man is his title of divinity. It's the one in Daniel that the angels worship. Why is he called a Son of Man? Because he's simply a man. No, he looks like a man, but he's worshiped as God. Okay? That was known in that time. So he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believed, and he worshiped him. That's where I want to be, confessing Jesus as Lord and worshiping at his feet. As um, Daryl comes, please, in closing, notice now the application. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Do you see how that works? Think about this. Those who are blind will see. Those who admit, I can't do anything without God, they're going to now see. But the ones who say, I can see, I'm good without God, I'm cool, I don't need to do that church stuff, those ones are actually going to become blind. It's going to become darker and darker for them. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, are we blind too? What, are you talking about us? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. Why? Because the blind man would cry out to see. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Remember I said from the very beginning, this has an application to the new Christian as well as to the mature. The new Christian, you're supposed to see this and say, thank you, Jesus, you have set me free. And as you're freed, brother or sister, don't let anybody take away your testimony. You may not understand it. You may not be the best one to present it. Now keep coming to church and discipleship and you will get better at that. But as long as your testimony is, I once was blind, but now I see, and you worship him and call him Lord, you're going to be all right. You're going to keep growing. Amen. But for the mature, let us not just brush this off and go, well, thank God I'm not like the Pharisees. No, we need to be careful of that kind of attitude. Because Phariseeism can slip into any of us who truly want to become experts or good at this. We don't just want to be gullible, do we? I know I don't. But I can't let my desire to be good at Christianity, to be an expert in it, take away my heart and my spiritual eyes to see what God is doing. I remember watching Juan begin to open up his store and at that same time he started Nini's he wanted to start Bible college and he wasn't doing anything wrong everything was great it looks like he was balancing his life but he wanted to have a talk with me and when we went into my office he said Joe I don't feel like I'm supposed to be in Bible college I feel like I'm supposed to focus on my business you know at that time I could have became very pharisaical. well I'm an expert And I know you're supposed to be in Bible college. And what you start, you don't quit. Figure it out. But he'll tell you if he's anywhere still here, Brother Juan, if you can hear me, it was the exact opposite. By God's grace, I've messed up in this, but I'm going to tell you a good story in this, okay? I said, Brother, I think God is speaking to you. Something about your passion for this restaurant thing Sounds like it's a God thing. Do you know that for the next three years, he built Nini's into the number one rated restaurant in Chicago? Remember when you quit Bible college in the office, my brother? Did I tell you you didn't hear from God, you filthy sinner? You don't quit what you started. i blessed you and released you, and over those next, what, three to four years, you built the number one rated restaurant in Chicago. You see, come on, somebody. Never, never use your expertise to miss what God is doing in precious people's life. Always, as a mature Christian, recognize what God is doing in you and what he's doing in others. We're talking without sin. Can I hear an amen? We're not talking about approving sin. Just have to put that in there. And so may we all grow in this to be Christians that continue to see and never become like the Pharisees, but always open to the miracles of God. Amen. Would you stand up give it up for Jesus today? Come on. bandit altar workers, would you come please? Somebody say, now I see. Amen. Now I see what you're doing, Lord. Amen. And even if you can't say it now, fully say it by faith. Now I see. Now I see what you're doing in my marriage. Jesus, come on. Now I see what you're doing. Now I see what you have planned for me. Now I see that you got something for my marriage, my family, my job, my calling. Now I see, Jesus. Before we go, if you don't yet know the Lord, would you repent of your sins? Confess Jesus today to be your Lord and worship Him. Say something along the lines of, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. And then start to tell Him how much you love Him and repent of those things that you've done against his word. Those who are new Christians here, and I know some of the second service you're coming in, thank you for your patience. If you're a new Christian and you want to walk with God and see him every day of your life, trusting him, would you just raise up your hands and say, my life belongs to you, Jesus.